Hello, and welcome to Prophetic Voices, Preaching and Teaching Beloved Community, a podcast from the Episcopal Church's Office of Reconciliation, Justice, and Creation Care, where we explore the season and the lectionary through the lens of social justice. I'm your host, Reverend Shaniqua, Staff Officer for Racial Reconciliation, and I'm so glad you could join us. In this episode of Prophetic Voices, we'll be discussing some of the readings for Christmas, focusing particularly on the Gospels, Luke 2, 1-20, and John 1, 1-14. With me today, I have two amazing guests. The Reverend Mokihino is priest in charge of Church of the Good Shepherd in Wailuku, Maui a congregation who has, as its roots, workers in the cane fields of Hawaii. Prior to attending seminary, Father Hino was an elementary school teacher in Guam, Hawaii, and Japan. The Reverend Peggy Lowe is the assistant priest at St. Chrysostom's in Chicago. Prior to being ordained, she worked first as an organizer and administrator for nonprofits, and then as a translator of Buddhist lectures from Mandarin to English. Welcome, everybody. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. All right, so I want to ask you the first question, which is, what is important to keep in mind during Christmas, especially this year? Uh, I think um, that the most important thing to keep in mind is promise and hope. Um, and I, I feel like, um, you know, we, we haven't hit Advent yet, but I feel like it's been all year long. And um, <laughs> so in, in my preaching and in my pastoral care, uh, in discussions with uh, clergy colleagues, it's, it's the thing that I keep saying. You know, there there is hope to come. We're we're Easter people of the resurrection, and uh, we we will you know emerge from this. What what that's going to look like, uh, I don't know, but I I have to have faith that it's going to be good. Um, the the other thing is that I I think as 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 we're in Christmas, we also have to think about what are what what's the real gift that we're receiving. And what are the silver linings around the cloud of COVID and the circumstances around the election and um, economic challenges? And I have to say that in, in my experience, and this is just my experience, but I see a lot of opportunity. Um, in my, my parish in Maui, uh, we were, we were, we, we had to go to virtual worship and we had to figure it out very quickly. Uh, in, in the midst of that, we, we are reaching, um, a lot of people who don't come to church on Sundays for whatever reason, but are more than happy to sit at a computer and take part, um, Giving has uh, remained steady through this entire pandemic, and uh, we're we're really casting our net very wide. Uh, for example, we did a, a service to honor Gregorio Aglipay, who was the founder of the Philippine Independent Church, and our virtual service stopped counting on Facebook at a thousand views. 
So um, there, I, I think, I think the gift is that we have the opportunity to live into our faith by seeing goodness in the midst of challenging times. Thank you, Peggy. What's important to keep in mind this Christmas? I think it's important to keep in mind that people are are really missing Christmas uh, in terms of you know what they had always how they had always experienced Christmas or the, what they think Christmas should be. Um, some folks are going to be able to go home and some folks aren't going to be able to go home and everybody is, you know, there are folks who are going to have to find a different way to celebrate Christmas than they normally do or than they want it to. So it is a time for hope, um, but it is also, for example, we'll do a longest night service before Christmas so that maybe we can focus, have a really focused time for grief um, and then be able to sort of really sit with that so that um, we can probably celebrate Christmas together. Also, for us, it's important to think about how um, some of our folks and some are zoomed out because they're on Zoom so often uh, for so long every day. They don't necessarily want to watch church or they'll just watch bits of church uh, on Sundays. So, but for Christmas, they'll be back. You know, they'll be there for the Christmas Eve services and the Christmas Day services, much like we saw a spike around. Um, Easter vigil and Easter day services. And so just keeping in mind that there are also people who are going to be coming that we haven't seen in a while um, and being able to preach and speak to that as well. Um, One other thing I was thinking about is Christ being born and wrapped and placed in a manger. It reminds us that Christmas is found in the ordinary um, and it's not found in this sort of glitz and glamour. And some folks might even actually be relieved that they don't have to do all those things this year. Um, that degree of like decorating and performing. And it's time to just really sit with the people who are important and the things that are important to you um, in your lives. And that might be something to focus on uh, this Christmas. What messages do you think our congregations need to hear? I'll, I'll jump in. I, I think, what what congregations need to hear is that we'll get through this and we'll get through this together as a community uh, and that we'll get through it with times of prayer and also that we'll get through it with the sacraments. Um, and I think I think that's the kind of the downside of all the zoom and um, that, that that there's a hunger. Uh, and, a, and a craving for um, for the sacrament, the body and blood, and um, that that time will come. I think going back to something Moki said earlier, Chris, people will need to hear hope and a sort of genuine hope, and not like it's Christmas and and the twenty twenty is going to be over and everything's going to be fine. Um, you know, a lot of people are are just saying, you know, I can't wait for 2020 to be over, which, yes, but also a lot of the difficulties we're facing right now will continue into the next year. Um, can we give people real hope, a message that will sustain them as they as this year ends and the next one begins, thinking about promises of connection? One of the things we're going to do is send our parishioners candles in the mail that they can light when they listen to silent night and just to think about physical ways reminders that we are together no matter how far away how far apart we are and 
you know, sacraments and, and sacramental signs and symbols are a great way to help remind people that they are they are loved, that there is hope, and that um, we are together, even if it looks like we are apart, and that God is in the smallest and most unexpected and unassuming kind of things. One of my the one of the churches in town they took like those like lawn flamingos and they like put them in everybody's lawn that's a member of their congregation with a little sign that says you're a part of the flock and then they put them in there and i thought that was such a cute idea but also so funny um and anyway just you you're talked about the candles made me think about that so Let's talk a little bit about, um, let's start with the Lucan gospel. So we have like several, we're just going to focus on the gospels today, but the gospel of Luke, there's the, you know, the earlier story that talks more about like um, the beginning and you can read the whole thing and later where it kind of talks more about the shepherds. What stands out for you as you uh, read or hear that, that Lucan gospel? I think the first thing that jumped out at me was uh, Mary rapping. Jesus in bands of cloth and laying him in the manger. And after, I remember after seminary going back home for Christmas for the first time, hearing that reading and being like, oh my gosh, that is, you know, Jesus, I just saw the tomb, right? Like Jesus being wrapped and placed in the tomb and placed behind stone, which when you're thinking about a stone manger and that, that everything just, everything fits, everything works. And there's also, there's these resonances that, that jump out um, in unexpected times. And thinking about too, that there were, there was no place for them at an end, but they're going back to their hometown, you know, or the, or because he was descended from there. And that reminded me a lot too, of being an immigrant and um, what does it mean? to have a home or to go home and you have a place when you go back to that kind of home. But there's always a place for you, even if it's, it's just really unassuming manger um, in the back of an inn. I, um, my mind goes two places with that. Um, my, my father spent his entire adult life in Oregon and um, I would I would go to visit him in the summers, and um, you know, one summer I went, and there was a horse for me to ride. Another summer I went, and there was a cow uh, for me to take care of. But one summer I went, and um, he had gotten into sheep, and man, hanging around sheep is like filthy, filthy, filthy work. Um, and, you know, feeding them and then having them brush up against you. And um, it's, it's not a very glamorous, idyllic life is, is what I'm saying. And, and I, I always just think of um, the, the, the shepherds in the field and uh, that notion that they, they got a sign that someone was coming for me. You know, not not for the king, uh, not for the wealthy merchant, but for you know, for me, this shepherd in a field, and and how magnificent that must have felt uh, in in the context of of that kind of life. And um, you know, Peggy was mentioning uh, the the ordinary, how God is found in the ordinary. I I went to the to the uh, shepherd's field uh, in in the Holy Land. And it's like 
it's it's this cave really and there was this neon star um <laughs> that had come out of the top of it and i it just struck me um um how yeah you know that's just so plain and ordinary and and regular you know <laughs> and it for for me it it took away that fairy tale quality of the story and it made it very raw and very real and then um walked walked up to the church of the nativity past the uh saint john the baptist souvenir shop and um uh, what what struck me was uh, I, I went down into the grotto underneath the altar and everyone was so, um, you know, pushing and shoving to get to this like star over where Jesus was supposedly born. And so I, I couldn't even get to it. So I went and and I hung out in the manger and I was the only one there. And I, I just remember the the feeling that that I got from being there, and um, I wondered, I wondered if I was missing the mark by trying to get to the birthplace rather than hanging out in the place where it was really sanctuary, if you will. Um, and that that, of course, makes me think about all kinds of life situations that. Um, that I can apply to that, you know, there was, there was sanctuary for, for me. And if we have an incarnational theology, um, there was a sanctuary for the Christ that um, dwells in me. And maybe the church uh, really ought to be intentional about being sanctuary for the Christ that's in all people, if we're really going to honor our baptismal covenant. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I remember, you know, where the nativity was and, and seeing that little star where his manger was supposed to be. And just also being so struck by all the different groups of people who went through there and how, you know, different denominations or uh, had custodianship at different times. And so they would move stuff into that chapel and then out and it would be like paintings or screens or, you know, depending on which if you know, if they were Catholic or Orthodox or different things and just fascinated by by the fact that we were all drawn there by just to encounter Jesus. But and we kind of do, right? Because we're we want to be everybody's drawn toward that spot, but but we're also pushing up against each other at that time. And that just also reminds me of how God you know, the God God embodied draws all of us together. Um and we, we come seeking him, but he gives us each other. And there's the sense of seeing God in one another and, and asking too, like, God, what do you want me to see right now? Um, you've brought me here. You've brought me to this moment. You've brought me to this community or church. What is the thing I'm supposed to be learning here? God is, God is there. Um, and how can we really be present to what God is doing in that moment? So. This year is a census year, and you know the time of the story was also a census year, or at least I don't know how they did it back way back in the day, but whatever, there was a census going on that brought them to this new place. What other parallels do you see in that story between what was happening at that time and what's going on in our society right now? Well, the as, as you say that, the first thing, you know, it being a census year is, do I count? 
And um, who who counts? Who who matters? Yeah. Um, and and I think um, it's really an opportunity to transcend politics and live into Christian theology. Um, who is who is marginalized? Um, who gets salvation? Who gets the the body and blood? And you know, frankly, who am I in this story? Um, because I'll I'll confess, there have been times in my life where I've been the one who's doing the marginalizing. Um, how do I, or how do we um, redeem ourselves in in the midst of that? Right, and that sort of brings up the question of: Is that the shepherd's hometown, or or did or were they not being counted? The other thing I was thinking about was the the context of of empire, right? This outsized force that is forcing people to move to places that they that they didn't want to go in order to be counted, and also just like where do you count, right? Like they had to travel in order to be counted. Why couldn't they be counted where they were? How many generations? Does it take till this new place is your home? Mm. Um, as an immigrant and thinking about people who, friends who are second, third, fourth generation Asian Americans, and they, this is home. I mean, I've lived most of my here, my life here, so this is home. But somebody will say, "No, you don't count here." You, um, and if I go back to Taiwan, they might not count me either, right? And so this is the sort of identifying with the sort of there's no room at the end because you don't know where I fit. Um, there's again thinking about the way that the folks who are who are experiencing this and writing this, contrasting the emperor with with Jesus, you know, the the divine versus the the emperor and and what that and what that looks like. And now too, just like what stories are we drawn to? You know, what kind of narratives are we trying to write for ourselves? You know, are we trying to write ourselves into a place of wealth and position, or you know, whether it's in economically or thinking about which churches you know like how do we think about our ministry like what are we who are we serving and um and what kind of goals do we have regarding that i've been thinking a lot about narratives and the stories that we are writing for ourselves and this is god reminding us that god's story is not empire it's not gold it's not this elevated uh sense of importance it's in the plain everyday life it's in this baby that a lot of folks look at twice. And if I could piggyback on that, um, you know, you, Peggy's talking about how, um, you know, why didn't they take the census uh, of the people where they were? Why did they have to travel um, to these places? And it, it, it actually makes me think about how we're voting in this election and um, who who's whose vote is whose vote counts who who can vote and um who has trouble voting i mean i feel so blessed because in hawaii we're doing all mail-in and and i turn on cnn and i watch these people in line uh for seven eight nine ten hours and um i i just i just think that's a remarkable testament to um, desire and somehow there's a there's a part of me that wants to ex- extrapolate that into desire for the presence of God. It might be a stretch, but that that's that's where my mind goes, you know. So in 
in the story, we hear um, about Mary and Joseph and there being no room at the inn. And I am wondering um, sometimes about like, who are the Mary and jo- Joseph and Jesuses of our time that don't find room at our inn? And what is our inn? Is that our church? Is that our society? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, there's, there's people who can't find a physical inn, right? There's the people who have trouble finding a home or hoarding housing. And especially right now, the economic impact of COVID, I think a lot of folks are being stretched, even if they had a space, um, now they're being, they might end up being pushed out and having to go live or find a place, a smaller place. Um, so there's the physical inn. You know, we're, we've been talking a lot these last months about the racial reckoning that the country and the church is facing. And as you just, you know, asked in your question, it's like folks who don't find a sense of belonging at church. Um, there are, it's Christmas and some people might not be finding a sense of belonging in their families too. And so I think there there's like the, the physical in and people who can't afford it. And why is that, right? Like, that's a much bigger and longer question, but you know, what does it say about the priorities of society that there are so many folks who are unhoused and struggling right now? Um, that you know, we would that the Senate would vote to confirm a Supreme Court justice and then adjourn and not touch COVID and support for folks at all until after the elections. But yeah, but also all the folks who are finding a hard, having a hard time belonging right now, and especially Christmas, there might be a lot of folks who, who are feeling shut out of the inn. Yeah, that's kind of where my mind goes is uh, the inn might be the way of life that we're used to. Um, and now there doesn't seem to be room for that anymore. Um, I can't hug people. I can't shake people's hands. I've got to go out in a mask. I For the, the circumstances here in the Hawaiian Islands are such that I can I can travel to the mainland but then when I come home, the only place for me is my apartment. Um, you know, I won't be able to go to work or to the store or anything because I have to quarantine for 14 days unless I can prove with a test that I don't know really how to go out and get that I'm COVID free before I get on the plane to come back. And so it's that sort of feeling of not not so much that there's no room at the inn for me, but that that I, I just feel displaced from uh, what I've become accustomed to as I trod this path called life. Um, I can't even celebrate the Eucharist the way I'm used to. I can't take responses from the congregation uh, because they're asked to stay silent. Uh, can't can't have uh, choral singing uh, in the church, so it's um, it's challenging. Um, but somebody must have extended kindness to the Holy Family um, because they they found place, and I, I have to believe that the same will be true for all of us. And I think going back to the notion of belonging, this just makes it all the more important that the church can be a place of belonging or um, connection um, at this time. And even if it's connecting them to a familiar sacrament, that they can't be there in person, but they can watch and and listening to Holy Night after 
communion on Christmas Eve, still being able to bring that to people to to say that um, you might feel displaced, but you still belong. I think that's such an important message. Um, I think growing up, uh, having like divorced parents with two families, I had a very affluent sort of family. Um, and that was very much about show and kind of you talked about the em- emperor and all of that. And then I had the more, you know, casual family that didn't have a lot of money and kind of what that was like to be with them. And I think the the family without a lot of money where I felt loved and felt like I always belonged, that was so much more important to me than being with the family that had money. Um, and actually that was an incredibly uncomfortable Christmas times being with them because it was like, you didn't always belong. And I was this like, you know, the brown child in this family with blonde hair and blue eyes. And um, it was a very uncomfortable place to be. And yet then I loved with the other family being with them and and always feeling like I had a place and always feeling like I belonged, whether whatever it was, the color of my skin, or if I was LGBT or whatever, all of those things, I still had a place. What do you think is the... Um, Toward the end of the gospel, it says, Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. What do you think that means? I've I've kind of been thinking about that lately. And I'm like, do you think the shepherds came in and said stuff to her? And so she was just kind of thinking about that. Or maybe the maybe it was what the angel said, and she was pondering them in her heart. Well, she had heard these words before, right? Also from an angel. Like it was promised. Um, and maybe this feels like coming full circle, a fulfillment of that promise, a reminder of that promise. Um, and I also just wonder what she thought, like in the middle, I, I kind of picture like in the middle of the night, like these shepherds just show up. And I also keep wondering, how do they know where to go? There's no star in this story. Um, do they just like kind of run through Bethlehem knocking <laughs> on doors asking, hey, <laughs> Is there a newborn in your household? Um, right. So, I mean, the fact that these, that the shepherds found them, right. That these, that they found them and told her that, you know, the angels sent us, which, you know, in any other family, they might freak out a little bit, but she, she's had that experience. And so she knows. And I also sort of imagine this sort of stunned expression on their faces. And it's one thing too, right. Uh, um, to know something, but another to have somebody else acknowledge what you know. Um, and so that's what, that's, she, she knew the promise, she knew what was promised, but to have, to have that and to hear that reaffirmed uh, must have been really precious because it's not something that she dreamed up, kind of like the way our discernment process works, right? Like we hear, we hear a call and then other folks have to affirm it. And that's how we know we're hearing God and it's it's not our ego and we're not making it up, but that, that God is really present um, the way that we think God is. What I, what I find interesting in that is that there's all this activity swirling around. Uh, you know, there's traveling to Bethlehem and there's finding a place to stay and giving birth and then these people showing up and she sits and all she does is be. Um, and that makes me wonder uh, how how we're called to be at at Christmas tide. Are are we called to be um, busy and doing? Are we called to be calm and meditative? Are we called to be some combination of both? And 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 what is that balance? Uh, but I. 
I, I'm always struck by that because I think when she ponders things in her heart, she's she's really trying to hear the still voice of God. Um, and it always struck strikes me. I think it was St. John of the Cross who said, God spoke the world into being and he spoke it in silence. Mm. And here we have the mother of Christ being silent. And I wonder if that's an invitation to us somehow. Well, and an invitation for us to, to ponder these words, right? These these words are proclaimed on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, and then people go away. And I think that speaks to a hope that they will also take away something that they hear, whether it's from the homily or just, I mean, the beautiful words of the gospel, that they walk away with something that they ponder. And I um I always feel like a, a part of this this whole narrative that's overlooked and maybe maybe pondering ties into it, but um, there's there's also a lot of focus uh, on dreams and um, you know yeah Joseph had a dream and was told not to dismiss Mary he had another dream that said take the child to Egypt and. It, it makes me wonder how um, how I might tra- tap into to that notion of dreaming as a part of discerning. Hmm. I think that's important. We we always say as Lakota people, we're people who follow our dreams, and that's always one of the big ways in which we do something. And I was also thinking about the. You know, we at least I was always taught that like birth and death are the purest forms of ceremony. It's like a ceremony that happens without needing ritual because it just happens as a result of having a baby. And so that's kind of Jesus' moment of um, the purest form of a ceremony. What suggestions do you have for preaching on this, uh, the Lucan gospel? I think I think to follow Mary and to to ponder. Um, and then, and then step aside. I think to look for, for me, I think to look for the shepherds and, and to hear what the shepherds are saying and think about what are the modern day equivalent or your local equivalent of shepherds. And so how can we sort of enter the messiness and, and hear, hear these words that we can take away and ponder? Hmm. I think about that sometimes too, like, who God chose to come to, right? Like who was the first person that learned of the resurrection, right? It was, it was Mary Magdalene and uh, a woman, right? And who was the first person who heard about this? And it was shepherds, right? Like the, the essential workers maybe of the time and who, who, who needs to hear our messages today or, or who does God come to in these moments? Right now, our, our interactions are so intentional. It's like we have to get on Zoom and then we get off Zoom and then, or we walk someplace and we have our masks on. Everything is just so focused in that way. How do we make room for accidents in a time like this? Hmm, it's a great question. I'm going to steer us into the the other gospel, the John gospel, and um, this is the you know the in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. I I really struggle with John because I feel like he like must have been smoking weed before he uh, began writing his gospel or something. I don't know. And I'm just like, Wah! and so I know someone told me to think of it as poetry, and that sometimes helps. 
what stands out for you in this gospel? There's a um, a saying here in in the uh, Hawaiian Islands. Um, I'm not I'm not ethnically Hawaiian, so I don't. I hope I don't murder this, but it it's ka ikaolelo okeola ikaolelo okamake. In in the word there is life, and in the word there is death. So every time I hear this gospel, I I um I think about the importance of the words that we use, and um how how we say those words. Um, there uh, at the Maui Arts and Cultural Center uh, years ago, there was a Dr. Emoto who uh, came came to do a presentation, and he studied studied water crystals, and um, he would have a, a Zen priest come in and bless the the water, and the crystals would come out nice and beautiful, and then um, he would curse the the water, and the 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 crystals would be like all out of shape and misshapen. And I, I've always wondered that bec- about that because if our bodies are like 75% water, um, what does that say about the, the power of our words and the, and the tone of our words? Mm, absolutely. So in the Mandarin version of this gospel, it's in the beginning with the Tao, the way. And so it's, it's already different, you know, speaking of the importance of words and just what they point to and what they signify in different cultures. Um, so when you say Tao, that has a whole different cultural connotation of that, of choosing that as a word of translation. Um, and I used to be a translator. I used to translate Buddhist lectures from Mandarin to English. And so, you know, knowing that words are so important. And also once you pick a word, you kind of solidify the meaning a little bit. Like there are words that have so many valences. And in that native language you hear in that context, it sort of has all those valences. But when you translate something, it like makes it a little bit more concrete. You kind of fix it a little bit in that moment. Um, So thinking that too, sort of, again, going back to the idea of creation and having a word that says, this is light. and, And then that, and then that is light, right? This is day and that is day. So thinking about yeah, the creative power of words, um, the power of words to open up doors uh, to different concepts. When For me, learning different languages also meant learning different canons and different ways of thinking. Um, or you, you think about it, right? Like when you're Googling something, like whether or not you have the right word, <laughs> um, the word that you choose to Google something like will it will really affect your results and the importance of the word. And it's also just so lovely to and interesting that we have the Lucan gospel as the Christmas Eve and this as the Christmas day that it that there is this sort of messy newborn and this sort of the high Christology of like the word. And I always imagine like clouds and <laughs> sound effects and <laughs> smoke and um just this word, these words booming out <laughs> from somewhere that you can't see uh, in the church. But, you know, again, becoming that something so big and amorphous, a word becomes flesh. Um, and I always think about the the play between Jesus being the word, capital W, and scripture being the word, lowercase w. Um, 
how they're supposed to, somehow they're also supposed to embody each other in a sense. Um, and when I hear this passage, I also think about um, relationship. Mm. Um, you know, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, uh, that God loved us so much that he wanted to know us so deeply and wanted us to know God so deeply that he was willing to be in relationship with us in this human form. That makes me feel very, very, very loved. And uh, because of that, I, I have uh, faith that uh, we're, we're going to get through uh, this pandemic. Um, I was thinking about what you were saying where you said in the beginning was the Tao and those translations are so important. And one of the questions that I had written down was how can we interpret the light in the darkness without thinking about race? Because I think that can, if you're not careful, can have some um, racist implications, right? And just your way of bringing that up was such a uh, a new way of thinking about it. And I'm going to have to go look at my Lakota, my Lakota gospel and see how it was interpreted too. Well, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that because um, I, in, in terms of like racism, racial strife, the other day I was wondering about where that word came from. So I went to the dictionary and the first definition I got was talking about a contest um, you know, like running a race. And um, mm. it, it kind of made me wonder why, why, we, why we use that word to um, talk about ethnicity and the like. Um, you know, the words, the words that we use to describe these things. And it's even more interesting uh, being biracial. Um, I sort of kind of want to hitch on to the star of Richard Rohr and, and wonder why um, we find the need to be dualistic about these things. Uh, I think I have both light and dark. Um, well, I was thinking about uh, Jesus as being the, the visible sign of the invisible God. You know, so Jesus, the word is the ultimate sacrament. Um, it points us to God. It, and helps us experience God in a different way, in a very bodily way. And I think it's important because another way to think about it is that moral principles can be abstract. Um, and we can talk about how we're going to treat each other or what the principles are for um, living with one another. But, but when there's a person in front of you, uh, when the word has been made flesh, when the when the teachings, the challenge to live out the teaching has been made flesh, that puts those things on a totally different level. Um, in the ethics class, we talked about like war and torture and what would you do? But real, more concretely, like, would you call the police on this person that you just encountered, right? Will you love this person? Who will you be friends with? Like, what does that embody? What does it mean to make those teachings um, and principles flesh? Thank you. So where do you see light that shines in the darkness? In moments of joy. Um, in people who are able to find joy, who work at being joy joyful, it's almost counterintuitive to talk about working to be joyful uh, or working to be hopeful. But it is a discipline and it is a, it is a muscle. And so I think... Um, 
that's where I see light, the people who are able to deal honestly with their lament and their pain and still man and at the same time to to find joy and to say that those two things aren't mutually exclusive. There's no light without darkness, there's no joy without lament. And to to really think about the ways ways to hold um together. I um I see a lot of light in the excitement that I see on people uh, when they're able to see one another, whether it's in person or uh, on Zoom. Uh, I see light in stories uh, about people extending kindness to to one another. Uh, and I also, for, for me, I see a lot of uh, light in uh, creation. Um, I love going and walking along the beach and looking out at the water going, there's nothing but ocean right now between me and the Aleutian Islands. Um, hearing nothing but the wind and it just sort of purges everything that's going on in my head and uh, it's just God and me in that moment. And then I turn and I see the mountains uh, that are just so verdant uh, with waters that remind me of the waters of my baptism. Um, and I look up into the sky and I see the sunset setting in the west, knowing that it's going to rise in the east again uh, 12 hours later. And uh, that that speaks to me to kind of the cyclical nature of life. And we're, we're um, in part of a cycle now that I know that we're going to come out of. And I, I see a lot of light um, in that. And I, I also have to say that I see a lot of light in the creative spirit and the the inspiration that people are, are receiving somehow and then sharing uh, with the world, um, you know, I'm 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 going to copy Peggy now and go and send candles out to my um, entire congregation, um, you know. And it's so clever how uh, we're we're getting together in this in this forum and um, and uh, talking talking with one another, and then um, also just uh, I I find. The, the word became flesh and lived among us. And, and, you know, my notion that that speaks to relationship. I'm sitting here in relationship with uh, people that I know and that I haven't seen in a while. And um, I, I find that delightful. Awesome. Thank you. Well, also thinking about light in terms of how we experience light. There's the warmth of light. So thinking of warmth of sun, warmth of relationships. Moki was talking about relationships. Light as something that reveals. So in in the books, finding the right words or the find, finding the right images that unlock something that's been blocked in a long time for a long time. Um, I think that's light too. And I also think um, shining the light of our stories um, and and what we we each bring to to the table. Um, yeah, you know, like my, my great-grandparents coming to work in the cane fields of Hawaii from Japan and their, their perseverance through um, challenges that probably seem to them as challenging as what we're going through now and, and prevailing by, by sticking together as family and, and, 
and being grounded in some values that were larger than themselves, like hard work, integrity, honesty, uh, education, you know, those things that are, are a part of us. I think we also, we also ought to shine light on those things. I was thinking about that. I think it was a meme on Facebook. I think it was like, since 1492, we've been overcoming plagues. We've been overcoming disease. We've been overcoming colonization and all of this. And we still are here. We still survive. And I, um, at least as folks who've been oppressed or colonized or anything like that, we can sort of relate to that somewhat. And I remember talking about that at one point with other folks. It's like, we are still going to survive. Yes, some of us may die. Some of us may be hurt and some of us may be sick, but we will get through this. Um, we just have to figure out how to be collective and how to pull together in order to to have that. And also just sometimes when you're experiencing darkness, maybe I can be light to you or when I'm experiencing darkness, you're light to me. I think we are light for one another. Thank you. All right. Last question. What suggestions do you have for preaching this text? Well, the the words grace and truth definitely uh, stand out to me in the context of uh, 2020 as a good place to start and a good prompt for for preaching. What what are graces in the midst of difficult times, and what is the truth not only of what's going on, but who we're called to be uh, in the midst of that? I think I'm looking at the verse that said, "He was in the world, and the world came into being through him. Yet the world did not know him." He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. Um, preaching about putting God first, thinking about um, Jesus first, and how that creates a relationship beyond blood and beyond the will of the flesh or the will of man. and how do we create these new relationships um, or create relationships in a new way that's based, that's centered around God and centered around Christ and our desire to be a community infused with the Holy Spirit to go out into the world in the Holy Spirit? What are we giving birth to this Christmas Day? I think that's the question. What are we going to give birth to? And this is the end of the year. We're heading into a new year. And so what do we want to bring into reality what do we want to express and send out into this world um starting on christmas day what a profound statement what are we bringing birth to this year or this christmas day i'm going to ponder that in my heart thank you so much both of you for being willing to be a part of this uh podcast and i love your insight and your input and uh, i really appreciate you taking time to be here thank you Well, that's all the time we have for today. If you want to learn more about Beloved Community, visit episcopalchurch.org forward slash beloved hyphen community. Thanks to our guests, Moki and Peggy, and a special thanks to our production team, Chris and Allie. If you heard something today that you're pondering in your heart, please rate, review, and of course, share our podcast. This was our last episode for the season, but be on the lookout for new episodes coming during Lent 2021. Until next time, 
Let your light shine. You're invited to join thousands of Episcopalians, neighbors, and friends this summer at the Love Always Revival at the KFC Yum Center in Louisville, Kentucky. On Saturday, June 22nd, get immersed in inspiring worship and community, deepen your love for God, kick off the 81st General Convention, and extend a warm welcome to folks discovering the Episcopal Church. The revival is free to attend, so bring your friends. If you're from a neighboring diocese, check in with your diocesan revival champion to find out about group travel options. You can find more information along with registration at iam.ec lovealways.